Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2020. This is Margie talking about Steps 6 and 7. Listen, 6 and 7 I've found um, to be interesting steps as I've gone through. I've been around for coming up to 7 years and I think Lisa so accurately touched on it. It's often referred to as the forgotten steps and I think that is really um, quantified by the fact that in the big book of 164 pages, this is what we're told of step six. Step six, we've emphasised willingness as being in the dispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us be willing. When ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you may now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here. Do your bidding and do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. So, listen, I'm certainly no Mensa child or rain man, but if I quickly look down, I would say there's probably 12 lines there. Now, that's 12 lines out of 164 pages. The irony is that for me, for this alcoholic, and I will only speak from my experience, step six and seven, um, I would not have said this when I first started doing the program, but six and seven are certainly where most of the changes come about. And every day I'm more often sitting in six and seven than I am anywhere else. And six and seven for me takes an unwavering commitment to surrender because what I'm surrendering is my character defects that for so long have held me back. And thank you so much for sharing. For those that weren't in the session before, sorry, I've forgotten your name. Justin, Jason, Joseph, Jay, (laughs) Jane. Um, He said it so well because it's an extension of my belief and that is that When we're born, we're not born with resentments and fears and all of these blockages, and it's over the course of life and the experiences that come with that that it sort of blocks our vessel. And once that blockage comes, not only does it block the light from coming in, but it blocks the light from coming out. And I have found that step six and seven is the process in which we start to remove the blockages. And that's when the sunlight starts to penetrate through that vessel and we're the vessel. And that takes constant work. For this alcoholic, it takes constant work. I can get rid of one defect and just as quickly another will will pop up. So my spiritual awareness is just so important. And what, what I know true has been of my experience is that my, you know, I guess the the knowledge that I use as my base from which I do my step six comes from my step five. And it does actually say in the big book, I'm not sure that I'll be able to get onto it, but it does refer to having completed step five with honesty and earnestness, that it's only then that we're ready to move on to step six. 
and I did share in that meeting I referred to before that my experience was that some of those um, revelations in my inventory came over time. It's not the point for me when they come. It's simply that we realise what they are. And step six is really pivotal to me because it was a point in which I was able to see that my recovery is not a process of adding to. It's all a process of subtraction. I'm getting rid of my defects. And in getting rid of my defects, I'm not replacing them with the contrary behaviour. It's just that in removing them, I'm making way for those assets within me to rise to the top again because my belief, and I do like to preface what's a belief and opinion versus, you know, the written word in the big book, my belief is we are born as good people and over the course of time things build up and what a gift that we get to have a framework in which we can slowly start to peg away, to chip away at removing all of those resentments. And it's, um, you know, step one for me was all about admitting I had a problem. So that, so that took honesty. Step two was about believing that there is actually a solution. So I had to have a, that gave me a bit of hope. Step three was about committing to taking the action to the solution so that I got my faith there. Step four took a hell of a lot of courage, to be honest, to a sponsor. And step five took integrity. Step six and step seven is where my willingness and my humility stepped in. And my God, willingness and humility. I think for me the most part is humility because it's actually letting go of ego to actually see what your defects are. And the interesting thing I found about defects, be it my own defects or working with others, is that defects oftenly, often has permeated as, as almost a defence mechanism in life. So while it doesn't serve us well um, in a broader context and certainly in active alcoholism, up to a point in life that behaviour has been a t defensive tactic so it's quite um, bearing of the stole and it's quite stripping and fearful to think I have to get rid of my, um, you know, my ego or my pride or my selfishness or whatever it may be. I have to strip myself of that because if I do that, I open myself up to being vulnerable and if I open myself up to being vulnerable, I open myself up to being hurt. But I can tell you my experience absolutely has been my growth comes in my vulnerability, not the pain. The growth comes in the vulnerability and it has taken practice. Certainly I think steps six and seven are practice and they are, for me, steps that each and every day I have to practice. Each and every single day I have to practice because, as I said, as one defect pops up, uh, I get rid of one, another one rises. And a really interesting experience I had was um, in my initial step four, one of my assets that came up was a sense of self-justice. Guess what happened when my back was against the wall? That turned on me and it became justification. 
So there's a huge value in me having an awareness of my assets just as much as it is to have an awareness in my defects. And all of this does for me is to remove from me what ultimately has separated me from myself, from my God and from my fellows and and not my AA fellows, humankind. And it's that separateness that we quite, you know, there's a lot of research around alcoholism and its correlation with isolation. And that connection is quite often an antidote to addiction. So to me, it makes a lot of sense that if I remove the behaviours that make me stand apart from, then the contrary of that would be that you would assume that I'm standing along beside my fellows. And that that's certainly the life that I want to live. And I know that it's only in removing those, which for me I truly believe, and it says in the book, the purpose of the book is to gain a relationship with a higher power so as we can become useful. I can't be useful if I'm just riddled with defects. I have to strip myself of those those defects. Um, and that, as I said, it, it, it doesn't go without work. And I think for me, the step six is more about an attitude. You know, it, it, all it's asking me in step six is to become ready, become entirely ready. I'm a bit dubious about entirely. <laughs> Only because I don't think every day, if, if we aim, it's progress, not perfection, right? If we're going to aim for entirely, Jesus, how many times I wouldn't be able to get past that word to not finish the rest of the step. So for me, it's okay to just be ready. And what being ready for me is to be prepared, to be open and to have an awareness. And then once I have that that attitude, step seven is about the action. And the action for me is if I find myself a place of active defection, 10 minutes halfway, oh, I'm not going to make halfway, um, if I'm actively exercising a defect, the only way to shift out of that is the contrary behaviour. You know, it's all about changing our habits, changing those learnt habits that we've learnt over life, more often than not as a defensive mechanism to self-protect against her. I don't believe we're any different to any human being. No human being likes hurt. Whether or not an alcoholic is more sensitive to that that degree of hurt or not, I don't know. I don't have any hypotheses on that. But what I do know is that through my lifetime, I've been able to build up a repertoire of behaviours that defend me against hurt because I myself don't enjoy being in pain. That said, my attitude toward pain is slightly different now. I know that I had an interesting experience. My mother has early onset dementia, and I've shared this a few times. She has a good long-term memory and a bad short-term memory. I never related with that reference to restless, irritable and discontent. To me, my experience was I was a happy child. I was content um, I lived in a loving family. So I asked my question, a question to my mum. I said, Mum, would you ever have said, would you define me as a child as being restless, irritable and discontent? She said, oh, 
Not at all. You were all, you know, you were happy, you were free-spirited, jovial, never a worry in, in the world. You were always the one we'd never worry about. Um, <laughs> followed by, and you were always busy. Does that sound familiar? I was always busy. And it was at that moment that I realised I hadn't actually learned that life skill of just being, just being. So that happiness, and, and it could be argued that I was probably the happiest of the children in my family. But I had obviously, without knowing it, manufactured that happiness by way of avoiding situations that would make me unhappy. So it's not surprising that when my alcoholism kicked in, it was actually after I gave birth to my third child and I had had maternity leave for the first and on having my third, I had three children under five, yes, crazy woman. Um, but it was only at that point in time that for the first time I had experienced boredom. You know, I didn't have a structure around me. I didn't have a job to go to. I wasn't um, responsible to an employee. I wasn't responsible to being somewhere at this time, to doing this job, to doing that. And so boredom was so foreign to me, I had no idea how to cope with it. So I drank the time away. And it caught up with me really, really, really quickly. So for me, the trigger was restlessness, irritability and discontent that manifested into boredom. And the reason that that's important for me to know now is I actually never needed to know what the cause of was of my alcoholism. I've heard many different theories. I've heard you're born with it, it's in your genes, it's environmental, it's progressive. For this alcoholic, it doesn't matter. I am what I am. Where it comes from cannot be changed. But if there are external situations that I can avoid, that I find useful. But the key, the key revelation that I've had in my journey in recovery was that for much of my time, that reference I had to boredom was to alleviate that trigger, I had a stopgap, which was to stay active, to do things. What that meant was I was seeking an external solution for a discomfort that was internal. So if I have an external, if I have an internal problem and I'm seeking an external solution, the two will never meet. So my efforts, my lifetime efforts were futile. You know, I, I think I've referenced it once before. It's like stubbing my toe but putting the band-aid on my finger and expecting that my toe is going to get better. So I really had to, um, that set-aside prayer, I, I certainly had to set aside a lot of things, not only my conception, conception of a higher power, but I had, had to let it go of, go of what my perception was of me. And the pathway to that was step four and five. I got to see myself raw and naked um, for everything I am, and it was in knowing that and only in knowing that that I was able to move to the engine room of six and seven and start making the change. And the change that does give me the joy and that it gives me the relief because it immediately, you know, that contrary behaviour, 
is firstly it takes that self-awareness to actually know what's going on but second is to take the action and what I found interesting about step seven was it simply says we humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Now in that it suggests that all we have to do is ask. That's not my experience. I have not asked and I shall receive. I have asked and I've had to go into action. If I'm sitting in a defective behaviour, I have to move out of that behaviour. It is not an idle step. And I, I guess for me personally, without, you know, I, I would never criticise this as a life-saving program for me, but to simply have two paragraphs in there, given, I guess, the gravity of the influence that step six and seven will have on your recovery if you persevere with it, per, you know, Perseverance is the principle of step 10, but as far as I'm concerned, perseverance starts at step one and it, and it never finishes. Um, it's, you know, I, I actually carry around this little card. Where's, where's Chris? He'll recognise this. So if Chris has any floating around, I would highly recommend you get it. It looks at your defects and it looks at your shortcomings. And I think it's a really nice way to think of it. Because if I'm in a defect, it means that I don't have enough of something else. So if I'm in dishonesty, I have a lack of honesty. If I'm in resentment, I have a lack of compassion. If I'm in fear, I have a lack of courage. So this is my map. What I have found is that the steps is my passage, my pathway out of my pain, out of whatever it is that has driven me to alcohol, drugs, whatever your addiction may be, to driven that's driven me to an escape, which is an unhealthy escape. So recovery for me has simply been to replace those unhealthy escape buttons, and my escape button was alcohol, and to replace it with a healthy one. And that all comes down to my behaviour. No, it's all about my behaviour. It's not about what I do. You know, I'm, I'm happy with what I've achieved in life. It's, it's not about what I do. Everything about my recovery now is, is my being. I get no satisfaction about anything I may achieve at work or anything I may achieve in other ways. I get tremendous satisfaction out of feeling a warmth inside me that I'm happy with myself. Because let me tell you what happened when I drank. My rock bottom, without going into the details of it, my rock bottom could be simply said as it was moments in time where I had an awareness of my morals and values sitting on, on, on that side of the spectrum and then I had a behaviour and I had a pause in the middle and I went, screw my morals and, and values, I'm going to behave in that way. And that disalignment from who I knew both I, I was before I got to that place and who I wanted to be and the person I actually was through my behaviour for me was incredibly alarming because what that boiled down to was a lack of trust. I could no longer trust myself. 
I had hung my hat on being able to make some pretty good decisions in life. I had trusted my instinct. You know, one of the promises um, we intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us, that it escaped me. And that was quite frightening to me um, as a mother, as a friend, as a daughter, as, a, you know, as, as all the roles that I play. It's really quite frightening to not be able to trust yourself because in not trusting myself, I felt I'd lost myself and it was certainly time to pull myself up and up until this day, a day at a time, that's what I've done, not without work. I encourage you all to keep working the program. Um, it's not a finite process. You don't go through from, from 1 to, to 12 and finish it. You live it for life. But if you do, the gifts will come and um, you too can become useful to your fellows and to yourself and life will just blossom and thrives in ways, ways you can't imagine. So thanks so much for letting me share. Information about the Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available at stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au.